Welcome to the Grumpy Economist podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Grumpy Economist is John Cochran, the Rosemary and Jack Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the proprietor of the Grumpy Economist blog. And John, uh, in a time of crisis, our nation turns its lonely eyes to you to walk us through the economic dimensions of the coronavirus. It is understandably all anyone can talk about right now. So let's just start maybe with the, the most visible economic effect and the one that's become shorthand for the economic consequences of the virus, which is the effect on the stock market. We've already had trading suspended once this week to prevent too much of a sell-off from happening at once. It's been sort of seesawing since then. But it can be difficult sometimes for lay people to understand how the stock market correlates with their lived experience of the economy. So what are we talking about in terms of the range of potential disruptions to the economy from the virus? Uh, well, thanks. Um, yeah, I think it's important to distinguish the economic questions and the public health questions. Right. We can have fun talking about both of them. But let's start with leave aside the public health issues. Um, what does this um, uh, event mean for the economy going forward? How bad is it going to be? What kind of policies might help? Uh, and so forth. Um, so you started with the stock market, uh, which is certainly visible. Um, the stock market is trying its best to guess what is the future going to look like. And I, um, it's awfully hard to forecast, especially the future, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> what you're seeing is, is a lot of volatility. It's up one day, down one day, you know, big crashes, big gains. Why? Well, the market doesn't really know what's going to happen. Uh, and they're trying to price it in ahead of time. So, you know, you see the stock market go down uh, tremendously, even though the economy is still fine and there's only, you know, a dozen or so cases. Well, that's because the market's best guess at that moment is that, uh, you know, three or four months from now, you're going to be in a, a real uh, problem. Um, so volatility is the number one thing you're seeing in the stock market. And that's what we see at times of uncertainty. We certainly saw, saw that, you know, ahead of the 2007 crisis and uh, several, we've had several hiccups along the way in the uh, rising market where is it over, is the recession coming, a period of bumpy bumpiness and then it kept going. This one may be the bumpy bumpiness where it doesn't get going as, as it becomes clearer um, how bad things are going to be. So the week prior to us recording this, the Federal Reserve cut rates by half a percentage point. That's the biggest cut since 2008 in the teeth of the financial crisis. And that was not much of a bomb, at least in the short term. Markets subsequently continue to move down. Uh, walk us through how well-suited monetary policy is for dealing with the issues that are starting to arise and, and what you make of this specific cut. Yeah, not not very well suited. So uh, I think the Fed did the right thing, uh, but this is um, like like you're uh, you know you have cancer and giving you a band aid. Uh, yes, it's good to have a band aid, but it doesn't really address the central problem. Um, at best, when the Fed cuts interest rates, what that can do is stoke aggregate demand. Um, well, the problem now is not aggregate demand. Uh, in fact. Um, if the Fed were able to lower interest rates and get people to say, honey, let's borrow some money and go on that round the world cruise, that might not be such a good idea right now. Right. Uh, together with the fact that the problem is that, you know, the stores are closed and, and you can't, you know, uh, whether you call that supply or demand or whatever, um, the the immediate, the economic, we're, our economy is going to shut down for a little while. <laughs> and it's it's probably wise that it shut down for a little while. 
Um, so the, the key for economic policy is to shut this thing down um, uh, gently, get over the, uh, the um, uh, health problems, uh, and then be able to turn the economy back on swiftly. I think really our focus should be uh, how do we ha turn this into a V-shaped recovery? Uh, how do we make this not a recession, but it's a snowstorm? <laughs> it's a summer vacation. It's a, you know, the economy often does shut down for a while and then go right back to where it was. Um, the key for economic policy is to make sure it goes right back to where it was. So an interest rate cut really isn't the crucial thing to getting you through the, the, the hard times. So how should we think about trying to set up that, that V-shaped recovery. Is that a matter of government having to take certain affirmative actions, or is it more about not making the wrong kind of mistakes? Well, certainly not making the wrong kind of mistakes is always the place you start, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and relying on stimulus to do things, I think, is... Uh, um, is a mistake because this isn't a this isn't a, a stimulus problem. You don't want the economy to keep going. We, we've said that already. Fiscal or monetary stimulus. As I think about it, um, the the central problem is this. Uh, it's on the business end uh, mostly, though people as well. Suppose we shut down, you know, air travel. Suppose you're running an airline or a hotel or a restaurant. Um, it's going to be a slow three months, if not a nothing three months. So very little is coming in the front door. And if we have to lock down like Italy, nothing. You're, you're shut down for a period of months. Uh, but your your rent doesn't shut down. Your, um, uh, your, your debt doesn't shut down. Hopefully you're still paying your employees something so they can get, get through it. So where does that money come from? Uh, so the danger I see is a wave of failures of um, companies all over the country, large and small, uh, who can't keep going through a three-month uh, shutdown. There's also a problem of, of people. Um, how are people going to hang out? And, you know, you at least got to be able to buy food for a couple of months. Um, but uh, getting getting money to people is, I think, a little bit easier because the amounts are are lower. But primarily, the so I think the thing we're not, and I'm also focusing on the things we're not talking about so much in the public arena. They got it that you you want to give money to people, and the government's great at giving money to voters. Um, but uh, making sure that businesses are still alive, that they haven't had to fire their employees, that their employees are somehow on furlough, that they haven't had that we haven't formally defaulted on debts, um, that banks aren't foreclosing and repossessing things. Also, that you're ready to go when it's time to turn back on again. I think that's the central thing I worry about. On the topic of the businesses, you said recently at the Grumpy Economist that in the absence of pandemic insurance, I'm going to quote you here, judiciously targeted bailouts are really the only way I can think of to keep businesses and people from going bankrupt, close quote. So A, make that case for us, but B, also walk us through that important caveat, judiciously targeted bailouts. What do you mean by that? <laughs> okay, well, um, so I do, uh, in, in the blog post here, I, I always try to start with the free market nirvana. <laughs> uh, you know, what, why do we, especially when we're talking about bailouts, uh, why do we need a government here? Ideally, we would all know, uh, including our, our public officials who seem to have been completely uh, forgetting about this, that we all know that um, there are occasional pandemics out there, and you all, we all keep around six months worth of savings so that we can just ride it out at home and watch Netflix and eat from our large stock of popcorn while we make sure we don't get sick. 
Uh, ideally, businesses have uh, six months of savings around or pandemic insurance or something to make sure that they don't go bankrupt if we have to uh, stop for six months. Now, it's a, a great principle of free market economics that sometimes markets are missing. And what you want a government to do is to go in and try to synthesize what the missing market should have done. Well, that is, uh, you know, a, a business should have paid some premium and get some pandemic insurance and should have had some savings around to, to keep them afloat for three to six months. So I think that's what you want to simulate. Uh, I, some loans, some bailouts. Lo loans are good because um, our government doesn't have infinite amounts of money, something we should keep in mind. Um, uh, so I, you know, a loan with uh, some low interest loans, loans with partial repayment, something where you kind of pay the, the premium after the fact as opposed to before the fact. Uh, I think that's the right answer. First of all, it's got to be a little painful to get the money. Uh, otherwise, everybody signs up for immense amounts of money. Um, if you just give everyone a thousand bucks each, that's great. Except for what about the company that has a hundred thousand dollar payroll to meet this month? Um, uh, so, so I, I think uh, the I think b being willing to lend, but people have to pay it back, is the way to get um, the, the money into the places where we need it. So the economy is just kind of mothballed and ready to keep uh, turn back on again. On the individual side how does the standard libertarian or, or free market nirvana aversion to subsidies interact with a, a crisis environment like this so in recent weeks we've had calls to enact uh, paid medical leave to ensure that if you got potentially sick employees they actually stay out of the workplace so you can slow the spread of the virus there have been calls to more comprehensively subsidize Healthcare, so you, in an attempt to make sure that people don't stay away from the doctor's office because they're concerned about their ability to pay, do we have to think differently about those kinds of questions when you've got the underlying factor of a pandemic? Uh, well, certainly there is a, if there's an unexpected pandemic that people haven't prepared for, it's kind of like a bank run. You're going to have to hold your nose and do stuff that you didn't want to do and, and, and then come back later and think about, could we all prepare for this better next time? Um, there is a temptation in the government, especially one that has uh, horrible debts like ours, rather than pay for stuff to say, well, we're going to force Joe to pay Harry. Uh, paid medical leave goes in that department. Oh, we're going to pass a law that companies have to pay for medical leave for people so that people can stay home. Well, that's nice. But what if these companies are the same ones under stress? And if forcing them to pay medical leave means the company goes under, fires its employees and isn't there ready to go again, you've really shot yourself in the foot. Um, so are we talking about the government paying the medical leave or the companies paying the medical leave? Uh, well, how much money do we have? Uh, that you know, it's a tough question. The similar problem goes. Uh, I think the Fed is is. Uh, I want to say something nice about the Fed. People I've talked to there understand that interest rate cuts are not going to solve this problem, and that we need a lot of micro. Um, we need banks to be willing to roll over loans they wouldn't otherwise roll over, which means you got to tell bank regulators it's okay to do stuff that is normally not okay. We need you know forbearance. Um, uh, you're, you're allowed to miss a couple payments and we're not going to foreclose on you. But then the bank's in trouble. And that's that's the same problem. So forcing A to give B money is is nice if A has a lot of money. But um, I, I, I think um, that goes only as far as it can. Um, it, it, also, it leaves the incentive the next time around, A won't have any money so that he doesn't have to give it up. Uh, and uh, so that, that's why 
targeted loan subsidies, bailouts from the government, I think, are probably cleaner. Since you've brought up the the Fed again, there has been a lot of talk recently, even prior to these issues around the coronavirus, that the Fed is out of bullets, that rates are so low, and that the Fed has been so actively trying to steer the economy for the past dozen years or so, that they're kind of at the end of their rope, to, to mix the metaphor. What's your view on that? Well, in the larger, that there's a larger sense, and there's a sense about in this particular crisis. Right. Uh, this is not an aggregate demand crisis. <laughs> this is not a case of people just aren't spending because they're scared. We need to either give them stimulus payments, like Jason Furman said in the Wall Street Journal, write them checks, lower interest rates, get them to go out and buy a new car or buy a new boat or go on a, you know, go flying. That is not the situation right now. It's not lack of aggregate demand stimulus. So uh, if the Fed is out of aggregate demand bullets or not, that's irrelevant because that's not what we need right now. Uh, what we need is is sort of much deeper in the plumbing uh, to make sure that the economy does act like it's a vacation. You know, a business knowing that August is coming and its employees are going to be out of town, a business knowing that Christmas is coming, puts aside enough money to get through and make sure it can make all its bills. And then January 1st, we're ready to get back to work. So, I, you know, that's the number one issue in my mind. And, and stimulus during the crisis just doesn't make that doesn't help that issue. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. So Fed out of bullets or not, we're, we're shooting from the wrong gun here. <laughs> Got it. Got it. As, as we wrap up, uh, let me take you to the international aspect of this, which we haven't addressed yet. One of the anxieties that has bubbled up in recent weeks is how reliant the U.S. is on Chinese supply chains, especially for certain medical products. And the fear is that this means a slowdown there could keep these things out of the American market in moments where we acutely need them. So Josh Hawley, the Republican senator from Missouri, for instance, is pushing to bring more of that production back to the United States. And this is an argument we've heard over the years in the context of some of the free trade debates, that there are certain things that are so vital to the national interests that you just can't leave them entirely to the free market. What's your view on that in a case like this? Uh, how can I politely say balderdash? I, <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> it's very polite. Uh, and you can fill in the other words. Uh, we've been over this, over, you know, strategic petroleum. You know, we have we had for this ban on petroleum exports because we got to make it at home. We, um, we, you know, agriculture. Well, America's got to feed herself. We live on trade. And if you're worried about a pandemic, which you should be worried about, that's exactly when you need multiple sources. Because guess, guess what, guys? Pandemics can hit the U.S. If you're if you moved all your supplies to the U.S. and and now your supply chain is all in Michigan and Michigan has a pandemic, well then you're just as screwed as if your suppliers were in China and China has a pandemic. Uh, so I think this does say you want a robust supply chain, um, but it doesn't say anything about whether that's home or abroad. Uh, this does, but that whole supply chain issue is is part of why. Uh, it's, it's just stimulus isn't enough. Even if people went to the stores to buy stuff, the stores are closed down because there's a virus and the stores can't get any supplies because the factories are shut down and the factories are shut down because there's a virus and because they can't get any inputs. Uh, really, the economy is going to shut down and should shut down for a while. And our goal has to be how to get it started up again. 
Um, now, a, a better public health response would have would have helped a lot to get this thing uh, nipped in the bud. Um, to sh- you know, I, I have this idea that maybe we should just shut everything down for two. I mean, everything down for two weeks. Find out who's got test the whole population. Find out who's got it, and not we'd be done in a month. That might be a lot quicker. I, I don't know if you can do that, but uh, uh, boy, the hitting it hard on the public health response would have made this economics uh, stuff much easier. All right. You've been listening to the Grumpy Economist podcast with John Cochran. You can read the Grumpy Economist blog at johnhcochran.blogspot.com. And if you enjoy the show, please read it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For John Cochran, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, And to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.